Today's reading is from Psalm 103, and it's page 428, 428 in our Bible. Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your disease. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies you your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sin, sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, as far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord have compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like flower of the field. The wind blows over it and is gone, and his place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness is with their children's children, those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Here's the, here's the word of the Lord. So on my short trip that I took a few weeks ago, I spent the day out with a family uh, who had a boy a little older than my eldest son. And not having any children with me, I felt carefree. I felt easygoing and accommodating. And so I was more than happy to tag along with whatever this family wanted to do for the day. It's amazing how easy it is to go with the flow when you don't have to change nappies, you don't have to provide snacks and all those other things. Uh, I mean, I did miss my family terribly, uh, as you understand, I'm sure. But um, anyway, I, I was walking along with them. I was enjoying all the sights, and the parents were parenting. And it's only at the end of the day that I realized there was a real difference in our experience of the day. I felt relaxed and happy. The parents were exhausted. The son... He had a lot of fun, but at several points throughout the day, he threw little tantrums because no matter how much fun he was already having, he wanted a little bit more. So we would have the lunch that he really wanted to eat, the, the kind of food that he wanted to eat for lunch, he got, but then he threw a fit when he couldn't have sweets. 
and his dad would play a game with him as we walked along and, and he would enjoy it and laugh. And then when it was time to stop, he would storm off. I was able to tune it out, but his mom was frustrated. She was worn down by it. And at the end of the day, when we got back to uh, the house, after all the fun, the boy stormed off to his room for one reason or another. And she said to me, what am I doing wrong? Why is he so ungrateful? How do you instill gratitude in your children, she asked me. And the, the reality is, if my kids were there, she wouldn't have asked me that, would she? Because she would have seen my kids are the same in many ways, many times. Micah, he'll have uh, a snack in both hands, both hands full of a snack, and then he will demand and cry that we won't give him more, but he can't hold anymore because he wants uh, even more. He doesn't want to miss out. Children think the universe revolves around them. They're quick to voice their displeasure if they feel that they're missing out, that you're not giving them their due. But the reality is that ingratitude, it's not just a problem for kids, is it? It's a problem for adults as well. It's a problem for us many times. If we're honest, ingratitude comes very easily to us. Often in the back of our minds, even if we don't realize it, there's this voice saying, you deserve better. They are not treating you the way you deserve to be treated. You're not getting what you're owed. And it twists us. It, it twists us into uh, bitter, into angry people. And, you know, unless we deal with unthankfulness, it will slowly poison our lives. I have encountered few things as sad as someone in their 80s who has spent their whole life bitterly stewing in ingratitude. In fact, Romans 1, uh, Paul explains that behind all the sin, behind all the corruption of our world, underneath the foolishness, the envy, the murder, the disobedience to parents, the gossip, and all the other evils that he lists, underneath all of that is the problem of unthankfulness. He says this in Romans 1.21, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. What he's saying is at the root of the tree of human corruption is a failure to honor God, a failure to give God thanks. In essence, ingratitude is a rejection of God, is what Paul says. It's a rejection of God as the giver of life, as the giver of every blessing, as uh, whether it's an expected or an unexpected blessing, whether it's a pleasant or a painful blessing, it's a failure to thank him. Which brings us to Psalm 103. This is one of the greatest, one of the most wide-reaching psalms of thanksgiving in the whole of the Psalter. As David looks, everywhere he looks gives him reason to thank God. Do you see that? Sin and forgiveness is reason to thank God, says David. Sickness 
and health is reason to thank God, oppression and righteousness, God's transcendence, his mercy, human mortality, death, and divine immortality are reasons to thank God. And the first thing that David says in this, the first thing that we need to learn from this psalm is to remember his benefits. Remember his benefits. Notice that this great psalm of thanksgiving, it doesn't start with a spontaneous outpouring of thanks. It isn't that David woke up on the right side of the bed this morning and the the sun was shining and all was well with the world and he thought, oh, how wonderful. No, that's not how this great psalm of thanks starts. He begins by giving directions to his own soul, by commanding himself, praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul. And forget not all his benefits. One of the the keys for interpreting the Psalms or any Hebrew poetry is understanding the, the concept of parallelism. So very often they will say, one thing, one statement, say and, and then say essentially the same thing in different words. So those are parallels. We we sometimes say it in English, you might say, I'm cold and my teeth are chattering. Now that's not giving you any more information really, but it's a different way of saying the same thing, right? And that's what's happening in verses one and two. He commands his soul to praise the Lord and everything that's within him to praise his holy name. And then verse two, he uses another parallelism. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. That is, remember all his benefits. David is saying his soul will praise the Lord when he remembers all the Lord's benefits. That's the same thing. To remember the Lord's benefits is to praise him. And David commands himself, his soul, to do that. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't have to command myself to do things that come naturally to myself. I, no, I, there's no way I have to command myself to make a coffee first thing in the morning. Because if I don't do that, I will be in pain. I will be uh, upset. It comes easily. I want to do it. I do have to command myself to clean my office after six months of accumulated detritus covers every surface because I know I will be better off if I do that. So I have to command myself to do it. Well, David, in this most encompassing prayer and hymn of praise to God ever written, he has to start by commanding himself to give thanks to remember the Lord's benefits. All the ways that the Lord has acted on his behalf. And I think that shows that David's soul is a little bit like your soul, a little bit like mine. Our souls, they don't need to be prompted to grumble and complain. We don't have to command ourselves to do that. Our souls don't need to be commanded to remember the wrongs that people have done to us. We can call those forth very easily. 
We don't have to intentionally will ourselves to be bitter. And that's because our, our memories are twisted by sin. We remember all those things immediately and we forget the Lord and the benefits that he's given to us. But if we're going to become people full of gratitude, we, we must command our sinful hearts to remember the Lord. We must preach to our own souls, remember the Lord. So we've got to put time aside to pray, to pray prayers of thanks, it, and, and not just when we feel like it. That's the point. If you wait till you feel like giving thanks, you'll hardly ever give thanks to God. We need to do it every day, multiple times a day. Otherwise, your default will be to forget all his benefits. Are you and your family saying thank you regularly? And if not, how can you build that in? In my family, prayers of thanks happen at least three times a day. At every meal, we, we pause and we pray and say thank you, yes, for our food, but actually I tend to incorporate whatever else is going on in the day, whatever else, the people we've encountered, uh, the things that we've done, I, I incorporate those and say thanks to God for those, for the life we're enjoying, for the blessings we've received, for the people we've interacted with. I think sometimes I get off track, and, and the way I know that is um, sometimes we ask Josiah to lead in prayers, and he says, uh, dear God, uh, thank you for this new day. Amen. And we think, well, we're, but the food is here. Uh, thank you for this new day, and thank you for this good day. At, amen. Well, okay, yes, that too, but also the food. Uh, we, I evidently go off track. But fundamentally, that is a good prayer, isn't it? Thank you for this day. The life, the breath in my lungs. Don't wait to feel thankful before you pray. Pray so that you will be thankful. Intentionally, consciously, preach the truth to yourself. Over time, that will make you a grateful person. If you're ungrateful, you will become grateful. It will shape you. It will change you. But actually, David doesn't just thank the Lord in general. He thanks him for his benefits. So what are his benefits that David thanks him for? Well, the NIV translation, the one that we have in front of us in the Pew Bibles, there is this dash at the end of verse 2. Because they've rightly seen that the, the whole rest of the psalm are the benefits. The benefits that God has given. Note that this, list of benef this is a list of benefits, not attributes. They're related, but they're distinct. So attributes are who God is. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's uh, all the things that you could say about who he is. And those are important, good things to remember. But this is actually about his benefits, the things he does, his actions. By remembering his actions we will become grateful. 
Now, there are lots of benefits listed here, more than we can go into in depth, but let me highlight four. First, he extends his mercy and forgives our sins. This seems to be one of the foremost things that David is grateful for in a lot of his psalms, but certainly here. He keeps returning to it. Verse 3, verse 10, verse 12. He can't quite get over how wonderful it is. He forgives all your sins and heals your diseases. Verse 3. Verse 10 He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. In small ways and in large, when we sin, we are rebelling against God, rebelling against our Creator. We're rejecting His authority in our lives, in the world that He rules, and what we deserve, therefore, is to be cast out, cast out of God's presence cast out of God's world. The wages of sin is death, says Paul. That's what we deserve, physical, spiritual death. But thanks be to God, we don't get what we deserve. You don't get what you deserve. We get far better. By his death on the cross, the Lord Jesus paid the penalty. He was cast out so that you could be brought in. The punishment that brought us peace was laid on him. By his wounds, we're healed. If one of the the primary causes of our unthankful hearts and our ingratitude is that we feel that we are owed more than we're getting, well, then certainly the best way to become thankful is to see you're getting far more than you deserve. And God treats us far better than we deserve when it comes to our sin. Verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed your transgressions from us. That is an infinitely great distance. Infinitely great. Think of that. When Jesus forgives your sins, he doesn't just put it in the archives, ready to to pull it out and hold it up the next time you sin and say, what about this? I forgave you last time. That's the kind of forgiveness that we very often give other people, isn't it? Ready to pull out the old grievances. That's not the kind of forgiveness that God gives. As far as the east is from the west. When he forgives, he puts an infinite distance between us and our sins. He draws us, secondly, he draws us near to him in his abundant love. Now, if God had simply forgiven our sins, that would be enough. If he had said, you're forgiven, just stay away from me. That would still be good, wouldn't it? But that's not how he treats us. He doesn't keep his distance. David repeatedly reminds himself about all the ways that God has always been drawing us to himself in love. Verses 7 to 10, he recounts the Lord's goodness to his people in the Exodus. When he delivered them out of slavery in Egypt, he said, he, he made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. 
That's how God described himself to Moses on the top of Mount Sinai. That's Exodus 34. As, as Moses was on the top of the mountain, what were the people doing at the bottom of the mountain? Worshipping a golden calf. Turning from the Lord. Rebelling against him. But the Lord wouldn't let their sin prevail. He wouldn't let their rebellion prevail. He kept drawing them near till his, his love prevailed. And so it is with us. Maybe you feel you've wandered off the path. Maybe you feel far from God now. Please see that the, the God who drew lovingly Israel back to himself over and over and over, he's drawing you back to himself. Verse 11 says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. That's an infinite height. His love prevails over the life of Christian men and women like the sky prevails over the earth. His love is over everything. It's the testimony of Christians everywhere at all times and places that his loving presence is experienced in good times, but especially in bad times. In sickness and in health. In life, especially then in death. Most people know his love even more profoundly in difficulty than they do in ease. Because his love prevails over the whole of life. He's not going to hold you at an arm's length. Like the father of the prodigal son, he runs out to meet us while we're still far off and welcomes us home. Thirdly, he encourages us with the compassionate understanding of a father. Many years ago, uh, Catherine and I, before, long before we had any children, we went to dinner with some friends who had two young children of their own. And while our friends were making food in the kitchen, we were sort of playing with the kids, entertaining them. It was all novel for us. And at a certain point, the older boy, he brought this book over to Catherine and he asked her to read it to him. And Catherine, she was busy with his younger sister. She was uh, occupied. And so she, so she said, no, Jaunty, you go ahead. You read it to yourself while I look after Annabelle. And Jaunty said, I, I can't. And Catherine said, oh, don't be silly, Jaunty. You can read it. Go ahead and read it. At which point, our friend poked his head around the corner. He said, actually, um, he can't read it. He's only four. Oh, we didn't know at what age a kid can read, right? Do, do they read at four? Do they read at 14? I, I didn't know. How easy it was for Catherine and I to, to make assumptions and unrealistic demands on a child because we didn't know anything about them. Honestly, how easy it is for me to, 
still be frustrated and overestimate the capacity of my children. I'm flawed. I'm a father that discourages, but God is not like that. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. He knows what we are. He knows what we're capable of and what we're not capable of. He's familiar with all our weaknesses. The Lord Jesus took on himself every weakness, every human frailty. He knows our limitations from the inside out. Therefore, he never, he never makes impossible demands on us. He only asks us to act within the realm of what's possible for us. For people of our capacity, of our circumstances, in our times. And he encourages us, take the next little baby step, your wobbling step, take the next one. Sound out the words of his truth. Sound it out. He doesn't get upset that you're not fluent in his service, in his truth. And when we fear him, that is when we live out a life of faith in service to him, he's pleased. He's pleased like a father. Lastly, he sets his everlasting love on us and opens the way to eternity. That's what we see in verses 15 to 18. We'll talk about this more next week when we think about Psalm 90, because this is a repeated um, and very close uh, in Psalm 90 to what we read here. But this week, notice that we, like everything else in our world, we are passing away. Like grass, like flowers, that is the span of a human life. And it's gone. And its place remembers it no more, says David. But in Christ, we receive something eternal. Verse 17, from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. Our place remembers us no more. His love remembers us eternally. Christian brothers and sisters, your life is ever before the Lord. He's looking at you with love and you will enjoy his love for eternity. Even if everything else, even when everything else withers and fades, God will not finally allow us to wither and fade. Though we die, yet shall we live. I listened to a, a popular podcast this week where a group of non-Christian guys were talking about a Christian friend of theirs. It's not, a, not about this at all, but it was just an offhand comment that they were making. 
And they were saying how humble he is, how he's the nicest guy. And one of them said, oh, he's a Christian too, so he's not even afraid of death. That's not fair. But that's the case. As Christians. The reality is, the Lord's love is with you, and believing that will make you a different kind of person. The kind of person that is humble, that is kind that is fearless, doesn't even fear death. It'll make you thankful. And others will notice that. Maybe they'll talk about you on their podcast. Lastly, join the community of his benefits. That's the last thing I want to point out to you here. Very briefly, did you notice that this very personal psalm of thanksgiving, it it starts with the psalmist speaking to his own soul, it ends with the psalmist speaking to the whole of creation. Everything. Verse 22, praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. As he prays and he sings in gratitude to the Lord, David finds that he's not singing a solo. He's not the only one. He's escaping the sort of closed-in ingratitude of his sin. He's escaping that, and as he does, he's joining in with the chorus of the whole universe, of all creation. His voice, like every other voice, has its own unique part to add to the chorus his own benefits to celebrate, his own ways that the Lord has been faithful and kind and loving. But it's not just his song. He's not singing alone. All of creation, the whole company of heaven and of earth are singing a chorus of thanks and praise to God. And friends, that is what praying prayers of thanksgiving does. It takes us out of our own little stories and our own curved-in sin hearts where we are the center of everything like a little child making demands it takes us out of that and it puts us in the cosmos as it really is the universe as it really exists where God is blessing and gracious and compassionate and loving governing all things it helps us see everything in life whether it's pleasant or painful, as one more avenue, one more channel of Christ's blessing in our lives. Nothing can happen to you that will not become fodder for thanksgiving when seen rightly. Is that where you are at? Can you say that about your life yet? I'd struggle to say it about some things in mine. But as I pray... And as I give thanks more, I will be more and more able to see everything in life as fodder for praise. Let's give thanks now in prayer. Praise the Lord, O my soul. 
and all that's within me. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Lord, help us to remember your benefits. Help us to preach to our own souls and, and speak what is fundamentally true so that our souls, our emotions, our wills, our lives will be conformed to it so that we will become grateful people, people overflowing with thankfulness for all that you've done in our lives and in our world and in our community. Lord, help us to put away bitterness, ingratitude, enmity. We ask for your help by your Spirit. In the name of Christ, amen.